and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. You can find me on Twitter at Sterling Vermin or the internet at large at sterlingvermin.com. And my name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor, and I'm everywhere at danger. Wait, no, I messed it up. I'm everywhere at Dane and Danger. This week, Benjamin, we have a guest. Who are we pleased to be joined by, Dane? We're pleased to be joined by this week on the very sacred ground of our podcast by Kurt Krenwelge. Kurt is a bardic paladin who runs the Sidekicks and Sidequests podcast. His podcast seeks to get at the humanity of his guests and the humanity of NPCs. There's a whole library of NPCs and side quests you can drop into your game today. Welcome, Kurt. Hello, hello. Huzzah. (laughs) So your podcast, you create NPCs and, and you kind of build a world around those NPCs. Yes, that is correct. And, uh, at, the time of this recording, your episode has dropped on my podcast, which you made a delightful pair of Hexblood siblings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're kind of creepy. They're a little creepy. Who may um, or may not run a very similar podcast to this one. <laughs> we got a spoiler alert with it. Go check that out at Sidekicks and Sidequests. Kurt, you chose a very interesting spell for us to discuss today. You chose the Hallow spell. Indeed. What got you interested in this spell? Well, that's a interesting question because I remember filling out the form and I was like, oh, it'd be really cool to talk about like divine intervention because that's like a pretty cool thing. But then I realized and you came back with like, well, that's technically not a spell. It's a class feature. So I was like, okay, good point. Well, there has to be something in the realm of that, something to do with the gods, like, you know, mortals interacting with the gods. And I was like, I'm pretty sure like, I was thinking of maybe like the MCDM um, strongholds and followers books, I think has like magic items or installments that have to do with like consecrating or something. So I was like, there's gotta be something along those lines. So I was like, I Googled it and then I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Hallow. So I was like, yeah, this looks like a pretty good spell. So something to do in the realms of like, you know, the high, maybe all the higher tiers of play, but also just like helping to expand upon um, kind of like the feel of uh of the world since you know this podcast talks about the magic and you know obviously uh in a lot of settings magic comes from the gods and so what more way to get real about magic and its implications than something that directly involves uh the approval of uh the gods as it were well then i you know what i say we just get into it let's (laughs) dig in to the hallow spell hallowed earth digging get it Get what I no, anyway. it's not quite, not quite the same. <laughs> Dan, whilst you, you tell sure? us about the spell, okay. Hallow is a fifth level evocation spell available to clerics. It takes 24 hours to cast, has a range of touch, and its duration is until dispelled. The spell text says you touch a point and infuse an area around it with holy or unholy power. The area can be a radius up to 60 feet, and the spell fails if the radius includes an area already under the effect of a hallow spell. So no chaining 
No chaining the hallowed's. Adjacent, but not chaining. Correct. Indeed. The affected area is subject to the following effects. First, celestials, elementals, phase, fiends, and undead can't enter the area, nor can such creatures charm, frighten, or possess creatures within it. Any creature charmed, frightened, or possessed by such a creature is no longer charmed, frightened, or possessed upon entering the area. You can exclude one or more of those types of creatures from this effect. Second, you can bind an extra effect to the area. Choose the effect from the following list or choose an effect offered by the GM. Some of these effects apply to creatures in the area. You can designate whether the effect applies to all creatures, creatures that follow a specific deity or leader, or creatures of a specific sort, such as orcs or trolls. When a creature that would be affected enters the spell's area for the first time on a turn or starts its turn there, it can make a charisma saving throw. On a success, the creature ignores the extra effect until it leaves the area. Those effects are as follows. Courage, darkness, daylight, energy protection, energy vulnerability, everlasting rest, extra dimensional interference, fear, silence, and tongues. And I think it took me 24 hours to read that spell. <laughs> it's know, a beefy spell. It's a beefy spell. And actually, it even though obviously I spent a lot of time with this spell before we recorded this episode, it wasn't until you were uh, talking about it right there, Dane, that I realized that this is as near to a Swiss army knife of a spell as you can get apart from wish, because you've That's got true. five yeah. creatures that all five creature types that always apply to, unless you don't want it to all these other creatures mm -hmm. where you get to specify who it affects and who it doesn't. And then this extra effect of the whole thing that you can toggle on or off from a list. Plus it even says, if I can go back and find the, find the exact quote it said one of the following effects or an effect offered by the DM. Yeah, so that's a it really opened, yeah. I, I you know I, I, had, policy, sure. I didn't really think much about that when we were looking at the notes for this episode, but basically anything that your deity would allow to happen in that spot, the GM uh, can say, "Yeah, go for right, it. Right. We'll allow yeah. that to happen in that yeah. spot." So it's just it's especially for anti gravity <laughs> poison. Who knows? <laughs> I want this to be a floating bubble. I want everybody to just uh, bounce around inside. I want it to be a bouncy house spell <laughs> is what but, I'm hearing. So for a fifth level spell, though, th this is really, that's a so, amazingly yeah, that's, yeah, comprehensive. Super, super flexible and comprehensive. Anyway. The only other spell that it kind of reminds me of is a much higher level spell, Symbol, which allows a lot of these same things in in a similar area, but it's a ninth level spell. So, you know, right. You're not just going to be casting that every day. True. Well, you will cast it every day because you get a ninth level spell slot back every day, but okay. All right. Mm. Okay. You won't be casting <laughs> multiple times every day. Like you can True. with this. Uh, Benjamin, what are some of the expected uses for this spell? It's kind of been blown up a little bit by this whole realization that the DM can add effects. <laughs> but I, I think the most common expected uses are kind of as a way for the party to consecrate some some grounds, either holy or unholy, kind of maybe a little bit of a base building element there. And then the other expected use case I can imagine is to prepare for a big fight against celestials, elementals, fey, fiends, or undead, or some combination of those things. 
if you knew you were going to go up against one of those creature types, especially if you thought you could provoke them to coming to you, this would be a great spell to cast. Um, I mean, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. You need to you need to get them to come to you with a 24 hour casting time. Definitely takes the cake for the longest uh, casting time that we've. Although uh, with that covered. casting time, I imagine it might also be useful if the players are in a situation where maybe they're having to um, like negotiate or like you were talking about um, kind of like building a stronghold or something like that. And so they've, they've defeated the vanquished, the foes within and like, Oh no, this is a desecrated uh, mm-hmm. spot. Okay. Well, I, the cleric, I'm going to spend an entire day, um, you know, petitioning and pleading with my God to reconsecrate and remake this space hollow once again, to prove, um, you know, the glory, the majesty of, you know, the deity that I serve. Uh, and then everyone who comes can be like, oh, look at the powerful uh, cleric, the mm-hmm. servant of this God who, you know, exercises such might and power. I, Kurt, I really like how you phrase that of negotiating with your deity. I can I can just see like the casting be this cleric completely arguing with seemingly themselves pacing back and forth, like just like, well, come, what if I, what if this happened? What, what, let's make a deal here. That's Sometimes it. prayers are negotiation. <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, yeah. Petitioning, begging, um, you know, pleading with your God yeah, to just be sure. like, you know, come to us in our hour of need, you know, make this space sacred once again, kind of a thing. I could also see this as being a, a fun kind of a mini game, like where the rest of the party has to stave off waves of enemies. And like, oh, yeah, I think I mentioned that in re- my notes lower. I think. This oh, would, there you go. Yeah, I think this would totally be um, it's I think it's more in like a battlefield setting. Like if you're imagining like a World War Trench, no man's land kind of a thing. And it's like the ninth level. Uh, you're casting like a ninth level version of this spell because you don't want it to get dispelled in the middle of battle. And sure. so like the cleric is there praying. And so like it's like a zombie horde mode. And so you have to hold the edges. Meanwhile, like waves of undead or whatever are coming. Uh, and it's kind of like a meat grinder mode or something like that. Yeah. Now you're kind of coming at this spell from uh, kind of a lore perspective, right? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I I as well as a as a DM, you know, kind of thinking like, um, you know, bigger picture sort of like, you know, uh, and, and inspired by your podcast as well being like, OK, well, you know, if I'm taking this spell at face value and it's really real, like, what does that mean for a world? And to me, this spell seems to describe, um, you know, providing context for how maybe certain places in the world are deemed as like holy sites or uh, or damned spots, if you will. So like in the ancient times, like in the turmoil part uh, of your world's history, it's like, ah, these were the great heroic uh, figures of the past or the great villains of the past who were able to use the spell maybe at a higher level or maybe even the gods themselves when they were walking the mortal world were able to just designate certain spaces as like, ah, this site is, yes, will allow these things to happen or, oh, this site, sorry, this site is cursed. And so I will not allow you know, things to happen here. Kind and of those, thing. those gods would probably only take an hour to cast it or maybe even instantaneously. Cause what? they're gods. Okay. Okay. Going crazy, Kurt going yeah. crazy with it. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> but you also have some thoughts about a low magic setting. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if you're in a low magic setting uh, and you're not 
encountering many people who have the ability to do arcane nature divine type magics and stuff like that uh, if you were a cleric in a low magic setting and you were able to perform this yeah you probably would be regarded as like a living saint like people would call you holy they would flock to you whatever you would say or do would inspire people um to finding faith finding uh religion and hope and they would probably flock to you you'd probably get some sort of religious order named after you and stuff Sick. like that and so then with your uh game world timeline advancing like if you're playing a session you know maybe like several um you know generations later you could be like oh yeah remember that one character i had well now he's gone on to form on this entire order and now maybe there's more magic in the world uh and you've advanced since then but it'd be kind of cool to be like see that was my original character um who did this spell way back when when it was low magic and now all of a sudden it's like more prevalent but that was my so character some legacy lore some yeah, legacy like, yeah lasting effects on the world i love it when that happens just makes uh, the world cooler it does one of the things All you right. uh mentioned in the notes kurt that i thought was interesting is that this spell does provide a um, cool opportunity for people to be specific about what religious rituals look like for their character for their cleric yeah, because I don't know, you know, it depends on the people playing Cleric. Certainly, I know the, uh, you know, the player's handbook and the DMG are written in such a way to, you know, be vague and stuff like that, not entirely emphasizing what is and isn't um, part of a religious practice. I know, like, in my home game, uh, the Cleric character and I have conspired greatly to talk about, like, these kinds of questions like, okay, you're a war Cleric, so what does that mean for your god, who technically is kind of like this trickster sort of figure and so in my uh home game you know so you can be a war cleric but maybe your goddess is like considered like a trickster goddess well that to me in my mind with my um christian background just means like oh that's just a different order like a franciscan versus a jesuit versus a dominican or something like that it's like oh you're just the war uh you're the Aspect. war background yeah. um you know with this particular uh deity and so, yeah, and depending on, you know, which kind of path you follow might inform like what kinds of prayers or rituals, um, regalia, garments and stuff like that, that you might use and stuff. Really so, deepening what what uh, the the world looks like and how it feels for sure. Do you think it's worth this spell being 24 hours long? Like, OK, so you're you're DMing a game and if it's not some sort of like um obvious downtime situation where you're allowing a player to take a full day to cast this like if there really is like a battle uh you know that's looming on the horizon do you think you would allow wiggle room like oh hey so maybe we get more priests to show up that can cast this spell and that they lending assistance are able to like speed up the time of the casting do you think you would allow that in your game or like no the spell is as it is written that's a really good question. I think this spell would get pretty unbalanced pretty quickly. I mean, this yeah, this spell is going to get pretty unbalanced pretty quickly with a lower uh, casting time when you can just pop it up uh, without much notice. The only real balancing factor left then is the fifth level spell slot. And you're not going to do any better than this for a fifth level spell slot and the thousand gold pieces of spell components, which 
be ninth level by then. That shouldn't be too hard to scrape together a few times, you know? Like you probably 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 fairly easily get to cast this a few times. So I, I like the idea of a ritual casting. I think I would for sure let that happen one time in a game. Um because I because I don't mind. Oh yeah, that's true. I guess it doesn't have the ritual tag on yeah. it, does it? Like it forces you to have to be conscious for 24 hours yeah. concentrating on this doing it. Cuz my thinking was like, oh, if you had other clerics helping you, like they're having to focus just as hard. So like if you're in like a battlefield situation mm-hmm. and you have a safe zone and you have like, you know, 6, 7, 8 other clerics that are helping you with the spell, like it's still costing like your spell you know, slots or whatever like that. Maybe the maybe because they're hel- helping you, they have to give up a spell slot as well. Um, but the sacrifice is, is uh, be- the sacrifice of giving up all those spell slots thereby decreases the time, um, you know, because it's like all of you pooling your, you know, your resources together um, to kind of speed it up at the, again, expense of like, okay, well, now you lose however many slots between all of you. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And if, if a DM wanted to give an option like that without feeling like that was going to be the go-to way people did cast the spell in the future, they could always change the duration of it then. Maybe the spell lasts for a week. If you if you collaborate with other people to kind of fast cast it, then it, then it naturally elapses in a week because instead of being like de- dedicated to a singular god, it's dedicated to the god of like, you know, everybody who participated or everybody's understanding of their God or whatever. Um, oh, I like that's that. interesting. Yeah. See, like I was a... just thinking of all the same God. Like you have to get like eight dwarven clerics who all worship the same God in order to speed it up, to do it this way. But you are kind of introducing kind of like a, a, a multi-faith sort of scenario. Well, um, I'm, I'm thinking like a hallowed quilt. So you got <laughs> like all of these different, clerics and they're all chanting in their own different ways across like a town and so they've they've hallowed a town um and it's just for 24 hours nobody can sleep because of all the chanting and incense that's getting burned (laughs) yeah that would be a pretty a thousand uh gold pieces worth of incense there's gonna be a lot of smoke in the air it's gonna be a lot of smoke it's gonna be a a real stinky time um and loud oh boy oh man is but it too early to safe. bring up that concern? Because I remember in your uh, resurrection episode when you talked about a diamond worth a thousand gold, it's like you brought up the point of like, oh, well, you could have like a tiny diamond. You just pay a thousand gold for it. Well, it seems like most of these kinds of supplies, uh, material components that you need to cast the spell could probably easily fit inside of a priest pack. So is it more of like a kind of like an economic you know, ramification with this spell being considered of like suddenly priest packs are going for like, you know, thousands of gold a piece just to make sure they can cover uh, the costs necessary for the, uh, you know, the requirements of Hallow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the things that is difficult to, to figure out what the intent is and then what would be best for the game. Uh, I know that in, in the campaign I'm running, that's heavily influenced by this podcast. I have we I have introduced a god that whose job it is specifically to just control market prices of things so that spells can reliably be cast. Yeah, I, I think it it 
depends on the utility that is found in this spell that we're probably going to be running down. So if it becomes a spell that everyone is leaning on and is needing to cast often, right? The amount of this uh, incense and oil and things like that will have to be greater. So then an industry springs up around making (laughs) fancy incense for Hallow. Or acquiring it from different planes like the Feywild versus, uh, you know, even maybe even journeying to the celestial planes if they grow the herbs and the, you know, the plants that make the oils and the incense. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's all, it's all going to be expensive anyway, but, uh, yeah, the, the arbitrary, yeah, this, uh, this, uh, this stick of incense is a thousand gold. Sure. Go for it. That first sip of coffee in the morning, it can be downright heavenly. If you want that feeling every morning, come on down to Hallowed Grounds, where coffee can be a religious experience. Let our divinely inspired baristas fill you with rapturous delight. Every cup served positively radiates divine light. And by that we mean it actually glows. It was one of the effects the owners prayed for when the spell was cast. Come by on Sundays and grab a slice of our always popular angel food cake on us. Donations strongly recommended. Hallowed grounds. Holy water. Holy beans. Holy coffee. But Benjamin, you you kind of found... Um, I don't know if it's a loophole, but uh, something something about the the wording of the spell. Yeah, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call it a loophole, but one thing that I'm not sure. I guess it must be intentional. The game has gone through enough, had enough eyeballs on it that it must be intentional at this point. But I'm not sure what to make of the fact that aberrants are not on the list of creatures the spell affects. If you look at uh, detect good and evil, it, it that's a spell that lets you. Um, know if creatures that in past editions were called outsiders, which is creatures native to planes other than the material plane, detect good and evil lets you let you know who those were, and that included all of the creature types targeted by Hallow, but also aberrants. So the fact that aberrants is off this list uh, strikes me as a little strange. I'm I'm just not sure what mm. the the purpose of that is because it's it seemed like detect good and evil meant like introduced a kind of category that all of these creature types fit into, but then it's, it's not here. So um, you could what maybe spin mean? that out. Yeah. I mean, you could what make some mean? meaning of that for your game. If you, if you sure. Yeah. I know I have a theory. Yeah. Uh, you know, thinking it. because it, you know, yeah, because it's telegraphing that, you know, these are alien creatures. They are beyond um, the assumed, ass- <laughs> They are beyond the assumption of Dungeons and Dragons uh, in this Manichaean dichotomy between good and evil being on solid footings against each other. You know, you know, the good gods and the bad gods, the fact that there is something other, you know, extra dimensional that's stepping into the playing field. So it's kind of a way to tell you, like, 
oh, okay, we know these are things from the far realm. They're not involved with divine sources. They are extra dimensional threats then. And so then it gives you an ability to maybe kind of like re-strategize and figure out, okay, we need to prepare psionic defenses and psychic resistances and ways to combat mm-hmm. you, know, you know, those kinds of things that aren't necessarily immune um, to like, you know, arcane divine nature based sources and stuff like that. I'm imagining like, you know, how Magneto developed his helmet to protect himself from yeah. Charles Xavier's psychic influence and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But then there's the open ended GM part of the spell that you could argue for mm-hmm. those those uh protections yeah, once true. you realize yeah. you're going to face them oh yeah maybe, yeah maybe yeah, maybe, god. maybe the gods are ignorant of them until you actually bring it up to them they're like oh yeah sure we should protect <laughs> by the that. way can i throw this into the laundry list please yeah it could also point, be that yeah. you, you worship a god that hunts aberrants and or, or maybe not hunts aberrants but like protects the manifested world from aberrants who are outside space and time or whatever and so that's one of the mm. extra effects that they can lend is that the spell also affects aberrance. I'll help you out because I'm good at this, but you got to follow <laughs> me first. Like, comment, and subscribe. I'm the God for you. <laughs> um, another thing that, that another unexpected use of the spell that came to mind for me is that in wars, uh, clerics would probably be deployed to battlefields in advance of any conflict there to create uh, hollow pockets to bait enemies into. Like I'm thinking, um, so in particular, the two components of the spell that work well with that is one, the fact that when you cast it, you can choose to affect only people who follow a certain deity or a certain leader. So it's easy enough to just say anybody who follows uh, that king, anybody who's considers themselves ruled by that king, is affected by this spell. Um, easily lets you. Would that work against mercenaries? I, I don't know. If I the think king's that, footing the bill. I, I would. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I would say too. Is that if the king's footing the bill, then yes, because it doesn't say why they follow the leader, just that they're sure. following the leader. Yeah. Um, and then wherever he may go. Yes. And so once you've selected only the enemy army basically is going to get targeted by this area of effect, you can do something like uh, add the, uh, what is it called? Energy vulnerability effect, which lets you choose a damage type and then creatures, affected creatures are vulnerable to that. So suddenly you create this choke point that all your enemies have to run through. And by moving into the area, they become vulnerable to fire. And then you just have people blast fireballs, or maybe you've covered the place yeah. in oil. Um, oh, napalm. Oh, <laughs> um, rough stuff. Yeah, rough stuff. Uh, if it's an active battlefield, I, <laughs> I'm thinking of like a cleric shell. So there, because it doesn't say it's stopped by any amount of earth or metal or anything. Right. So Mm -hmm. you've got these like pill shaped. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Standing, standing uh, chambers so that the, the cleric can get in there and just like be safe for 24 hours, like a mobile panic room, like a mobile panic room (laughs) that you can drop on a active (laughs) battlefield to, to get these pockets going. That's a really hilarious idea. 
or uh, <laughs> I was just thinking of like a siege tower. Maybe not like a gigantic siege tower, but like a just mini, a like a mini one. Yeah, and gigantic enough. That's a you know sixty feet. Because I think what is it? Um, I was trying to do my own math. Not that I'm like, uh, you know, as well versed all the mathematics. Watch out! You know, we got a sixty. It says it affects up to sixty feet radius in a circle. So that's like you're thinking about something that's about as big as like a grain silo, as far as a radius is concerned. Um, And you know, that's eleven thousand three hundred and ten square feet, which is only slightly smaller, um, you know, than an Olympic sized pool um wow. yeah at you know olympic sized pool is like thirteen thousand five hundred square feet and if you have multiple ones casting you know hallow sp- uh spells side by side i think like with a group of like six or eight of them if you wanted to just blanket an entire area with hallow spells you know you can make something about as big as like an american football field um if you had like six or eight clerics positioned next to each other all casting hallow at the same time each in their mini siege tower or their <laughs> their hollow shell. And uh you know, no matter what they're getting thrown at, they're they're safe in there, burning their incense. Hopefully <laughs> okay, with yeah. proper ventilation. Okay. Um uh, yeah, I was gonna say you could sneak them in with a Trojan horse or send them into the sewers, and then you mentioned the um the incense, the incense and I was like, Oh smoke. yeah, that would if suddenly like your sewers started to smell like incense instead of uh, feces. You'd probably want to go. So down then, and... air purification systems become become yeah. developed. You have to have we, somebody we cast getting... dust to send send the <laughs> incense out of the sewer and into the twenty four hours of gust. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, all all for the for the battle. So if the there's always like a given or not a give and take. There's always a um, tip for tat when you start thinking about how spells like this might work in a combat setting or like uh, authorities versus crim- a criminal element. And in this case, if you did try to create pockets of hallow to bait your enemies into, I think you would find that it would become very common in armies for there to be scouts that have detect magic and and dispel magic ready so that they can just go around because right. you know it, it the spell hollow specifically spell says until, until dispelled yeah so like uh i i played stratego a lot as a kid and there's one piece that is terrible but it is the only piece that can defuse bombs and so you mm-hmm. want to be very careful about deploying that and i think that would be this where it's walking into a, a hallowed area could could They're walking easily, into hallowed ground. Yeah, could really yep. easily wipe that unit out. So you've got to judiciously deploy these scouts to ensure that the enemy doesn't get that advantage. Wouldn't that be an awesome one shot, like set against the backdrop of like Dragon Lance or some sort of apocalyptic war situation? Like, here's No Man's Land. Your team is like one of these detect magic, dispel magic squads that's mm-hmm. been sent out ahead to clear it. So that way the army can like progress forward and continue on with the war machine. Yeah. And then I guess you'd have counter scouts casting counter spell to stop your dispel magic from working. The only thing about dispel magic that is uh, interesting here, or not the only thing. But one interesting thing to keep in mind is that Dispel Magic 
is the third level spell. Hallow is a fifth. Dispel magic can only cancel a spell that's the that's its level or lower. So you can increase the spell level of dispel magic by casting with a higher level spell slot. But that same thing is true for Hallow. So if you have a higher level yes. cleric, then they have other kind of caster. Then they can't do anything about your mm-hmm. Hallow anyway. So there is oh, that. There is that kind of protective factor if you're like a whole and you animal. might get strategic about which ones are the ones you definitely want to keep oh, up as yeah. far as like which hallow spots yeah. you want to be super beefy and which ones are like okay maybe that's even a tactic as far as like luring them in like oh, oh. you suddenly made this path safe but then all of a sudden oh they've used all their spell slots and now they're trapped in a like a ninth level hallow spot that they can't defuse and yeah. suddenly they're in the energy vulnerable fireball flambe napalm bubble of death <laughs> yeah and, and you've you know, exhausted your resources you fools and the thing is detect magic i don't i don't i mean there's nothing explicit in the spell detect magic that tells you that you know the spell level so when you're casting to spell magic you'd be kind of guessing at what slot level yeah. you use for hallow too so so actually this is less of a surefire counter to hallow than i than i had been thinking well, what I'm thinking about here is that Hallow can only be cast by clerics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but Dispel Magic can be cast by so many other classes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is almost a war of attrition in terms of they can throw so many more people at dispelling things than you can at casting it. So these these dispel squads might have waves of lower suicide level squads. To, well, <laughs> well, of lower level to higher level casters, so that to ensure that you can dispel what you need to dispel. I I, I don't know. I I feel like the the balance between the number of people who can dispel and the number of people who can cast hallow. There's uh there's something there. True. Well. Yes, and high enough level wizards and sorcerers also get to cast this spell by casting wish. And and <laughs> yep. it's and it's one action then, because wish is one action. So that's oh, the so shoot, that's the other taking thing. out the twenty four hours. Yeah, so yeah. that's the other thing is that if you really need to make everybody vulnerable to fire right now, you can just have your sorcerer high level sorcerer walk in there, uh, plop this down with a wish. And then he's going to beat feet while everybody throws fireballs into the area. A ring of fire. A circle, more like, because I think it's going to be, it's the, it's not just going to be a ring. It's got, the entire center of it is going to be on fire, yeah. too. So I'm just thinking about the suicide squad thing. That would be such a cool one shot to do. Like, okay, you are a reject criminals that we're sending out into the battlefield, dispel all these hollow spots, but make sure you pick the right ones. And if you don't, we explode your head somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you'll just mm-hmm. get exploded. Yeah. By a fireball. Yeah. You're going to be vulnerable anyway, so we'll just pick you off. Do your job good. Stepping away from the horrors of war, the first thing that really came to my mind is the idea that every major city would probably have a center for diplomacy that included this spell and added the tongues benefit. To all creatures and the tongues benefit mm. means that all creatures with all affected creatures within it can speak to one another. So I think that's a really cool idea. And I think, you know, for, for me, whenever I think of a, an effect of a spell that's so beneficial 
it, it would almost exist anywhere, I immediately start thinking about organizations or institutions that have made it their work to 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 replicate that. And so in this case, like I can imagine there's a either a religious institution or a monastic tradition or something else that that is casting this spell and ensuring that there is a place for people to go to discuss their issues without having to worry about what language they speak and is kind of like kind of a pro diplomacy force in your setting. Yeah, and since, you know, D&D doesn't really give you a good reason as to why a common spoken or common signed language would exist, how about the lore implications of these kinds of groups existing and now this is the reason why oh, yeah. a common language even exists to begin with because everyone could sit down and be like okay so this word means this in your language so then between that and the sounds that we can produce what is going to be the most effective way <laughs> to verbalize this thing to mean this thing wait you have a venn diagram of uh, of languages <laughs> Yeah, one of those constructed languages. I, I can't think of the name of it, but there are, I think there was someone maybe even associated with the UN. Esperanto. Es, yeah, thank you. There you go. Um, yeah, kind of a fantasy version of Esperanto, which I, I like I like that idea a lot. And I especially like the idea of tying together Hallow and the origins of the language common. That's such a fun tie-in. Yeah, other than like, oh, just the, you know, the more conquering uh empire of the past that you know conquered the entire globe and then that's the reason why everyone sure. has a common language but this is a little more fun and yeah uh, yeah no i mean uh colonialization is uh boring um what is there any i know you can't cast hallow on itself so you can't overlay them but is there anything that says you can't put a zone of truth on here um, no, so. there'd be no reason that you couldn't. Uh, I mean, Zone of Truth is much, much smaller uh, overall. Sure. Case. But no, yeah, you could you could totally do that. I think that would make sense for the same institution that's casting Hollow to also have Zone of Truth. Um, I mean, if there's a house of negotiation, then there's this this kind of thing going on. There's the... You could person. use one of the DM effects. Like, well, maybe not in the same... Maybe not even the same one but you'd have to put another adjacent circle to be like, okay, in this particular 60 foot radius spot, the truth is told here. So like maybe, you know, the debating goes in one room where everyone can understand, but then all the decision-making is the done in another room where you have to be truthful or something. Right. The house of debate in the house of truth. I like that. That's pretty cool. And, and I, don't, I really don't see why this spell isn't, cast on any holy building in any graveyard you can't you can't bring any of those people back to life as undead specifically though you can bring them back to life just to actual life not to undead life oh yeah there you that go. makes sense I'd, I'd imagine that any graveyard has this cast on it i'd imagine any church or holy building has this cast on it i'd imagine like rulers bedrooms would have some flavor of this cast on it so teleportation that, interference yeah yeah so that way you can protect treasuries you can protect castles and armories and stuff like that so plane shift dimension door demi plane won't work 
banks banks would have that so you can't get into the you know well you can get in that's the thing is that the spell doesn't prevent people from teleporting in it's just if you tell once you teleport in you have to make a saving throw to be able to teleport out again okay so okay it's still still valuable still valuable especially for banks um but less so to like prevent assassinations on the king or something or 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 Mm -hmm. any kind of other leader um, but what you, but I do think that you're totally spot on, Dane, and that like any building of real cultural import is probably going to have some version of this. Certainly, almost every temple, like unless you're like yeah. way out in the sticks or are a fledgling religion, you're pr- shrine. You're yeah, a shrine. You're probably going to have this spell on on your on your church or or your temple or whatever it is. The the point you made about graveyards is really interesting, and that's that the idea had occurred to me that with in, so the uh, everlasting rest is one of the effects, which means that people can't be turned to undead or or bodies can't be turned to undead while uh, they're in within this zone. So that's really useful, and also in a city, you probably don't want, as a rule, celestials, fey, fiends, elementals and undead wandering in either. So that gave me the idea that there some for some cities it might make sense to ring your entire city in a graveyard and then and then kind of create a and then create hollow spells across the entire graveyard. So then not only do you ensure that everybody who's die who dies and is buried in your city won't come back as undead, you've also created a a circle of defense where outside creatures are just not like fiends can't wage war on your city because you're completely ringed. It's a holy moat. A thing. Yeah, You've made exactly. a holy yes. moat. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you go swimming in the moat, one might be called a holy diver. Oh, <laughs> holy diver! Uh, you get inspiration for that one. Thank you, uh, Kurt. Great I think job. that might be the first time inspiration has been handed out on our. Uh, that's very Ooh, true. That's give great. myself a pat yeah. on the back yeah. for that one. <laughs> um, it does make me think, you know, or one one kind of caveat to that is that if you were in a major metropolis where those kinds of creatures do occasionally have legitimate business, you could just create kind of very narrow passages in and out of the city where they can travel to defendable. From, right, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. You can keep an eye on. Yeah, like oh, or. You know, you think of these legends of like, oh, outside the city walls, there's the old abandoned lodge, and that's where the devil oh, goes to yeah. make his deals. Yeah, there you go. That's I like that also, that there might be some place outside the city where if you've got legitimate business, legitimate in quotes, I guess, business with a with a demon or a fae or a fiend, or a, I guess. Demon and they use the unholy version of hallow, so... Or they use it for unholy purposes. They do their own hallow. So it's like only devils and and fiends and stuff can come in and mortals can come into this place, but no no oh, angels yeah. or oh, anything. For sure. like yeah, that. yeah. Maybe that maybe each one has their own um diplomacy center outside of town where there's tongues so they can all talk to each other, but they don't let any mm. other kind of outsider in there. Excellent. Well, Kurt, thank you again for joining us uh, for this uh, rich and varied episode um, of Dispel Magic. Uh, Do you have anything you'd like to plug? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, certainly I want to thank you guys for allowing me to nerd out with you and overthink the magic on this one. Uh, you even gave me a lot of things that I hadn't already considered uh, more to think about and incorporate. And now I wonder if there is a city in my world that's surrounded by a ring, uh, a ringed graveyard around the entire city. That's pretty cool. I like that idea. So I'll have to stick it somewhere in my world. But um, yeah, so uh, the podcast Sidekicks and Side Quests. Uh, can be found on all your major podcast players. So everywhere from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Overcast, you know, the whole thing. Um, I think the central location, probably to find all the various resources and outlets social media-wise that I use, if you just go to directly to the website, sidekicksandsidequest.com, it's all spelled out, so there's no ampersands or anything like that uh reddit i have a subreddit um and then a patreon as well you know i know you guys got a patreon i've got a small but mighty little patreon that it's pretty cheap one two four dollars a month and um you can get some pretty nifty little things you know i don't want to overcommit and promise the impossible but uh you know uh yeah some pretty cool stuff but yeah i would just say if you want to find out more just go to the central location at sidekicksandsidequests.com Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, if you out there have any additional thoughts that you'd like to contribute to uh, the Hallow Spell, um, you can reach out on Twitter. We are at Dispel Magic Pod. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin, at Sterling Vermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw.